0: So finally back with this episode, recapping episode five of Nine Perfect Strangers, Sweet Surrender. As most of you probably know, Hurricane Ida came through and has delayed everything. And I also had a birthday, wedding anniversary, lots of busyness this week. But I really did think all these episodes would be out probably by Wednesday. I think I was mostly done with this. (laughs) And of course, life got in the way as usual. But but to uh, to get back into it, uh, episode five of Nine Perfect Strangers, Sweet Surrender. What do you think, Sona? This title, I think it, this this title is thematic to the episode. What do you think?
1: I think everybody is high and having the time of their lives.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that is a sweet surrender, right? Is that you know we were, we were talking about we were talking about last week how everybody's just like I can't believe they're on board with this and it's like yep they're on board with it. It's like they they just surrender to this tactic uh, to Masha's tactic here with, uh, with drugging them.
1: <laughs> yeah but, I mean it's, it's nice to watch the characters seem to be growing really fond of each other they're having a nice time talking with each other they're developing their relationships you know some of them are there during this really hard time you know Zoe and her family celebrating her birthday and thinking of the the son and brother that they lost um, I mean I like this episode a lot I thought it was really nice to watch I thought there was a lot of Uh, character development especially I thought with Zoe who previously we hadn't really learned that much about and I don't recall seeing this actress in anything else previously although I may have and I just don't remember but I you know I mentioned to you earlier I was really moved by her scene in the beginning where she sees her brother and is talking with him and hugging him and you know, um, talking about how much she misses him and how she, they're talking about how she won't really admit that out loud. I mean, it really brought tears to my eyes, to be honest. And I was surprised by that because, you know, I'm not familiar with this actress, but I thought she did a really great job.
0: Uh, I Mm -hmm. knew her from, uh, I I mentioned it before that she was Adam Sandler's daughter in the Meyerowitz Chronicles, which I uh, highly recommend. It's uh, Adam Sandler and got an all-star cast. So it's available on Netflix. It's a Netflix movie. And um, anyway, she plays a daughter, and she's excellent in that as well. So, I, so I do recommend you track that down. Ben Stiller, Ben Stiller's the other actor. He's the ah. brother. He's the other brother. And uh, they have um, Dustin Hoffman is a dad. It's an all star cast. Like I said, Emma Thompson is the stepmom. There's, there's, you know, it's it's very good, very funny, very entertaining. Full of some really tough scenes as well. Uh, Adam Sandler's d- dealing with his uh, his um, still recovering from you know raising his daughter by himself because his, his wife passed away unexpectedly. So it's, uh, um, yeah, mm-hmm. so there's a lot to deal with there. There, but like I said, still very funny and and great chemistry in that cast as well. And she's terrific; she's great in that. So that's the only thing I've seen her in before this one. You know, I'll get to that scene you were just mentioning because it's pretty early in the episode. First, we start off with uh, two things. We see like kind of an almost a flashback. We see that there's a client at the spa. That has like collapsed, they're so trying to give him oxygen. Yao and Delilah and uh and Masha, you know, trying to like resuscitate him. So, this might have something to do with the stalker. And then that flashback that she has uh culminates with her inside the garage, and then we see the shooter again, you know, taking the shot. But for a f- moment, we see the shooter's face, right? So, she did actually see the person who shot her. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure how that's all going to pay off in the long run, but that is something new information. And then like we mentioned, I'm still not sure how
1: much I care, I guess. but (laughs) but Yeah.
0: And I'm, and I'm most of the way through the book, by the way, I'm most of the way through the book Mm -hmm. and I'll give you my, my, uh, you know, I I actually think we should do like a whole episode at some point where I kind of talk about, uh, the book in detail and probably after Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. wraps up, but a couple of things I would say is that once again, I don't know how this is all going to go because none of this happened in the, in the book and my very general uh, assessment of the book would be that everybody's backstory is pretty much the same in the book but nothing okay. that happens in the book <laughs> happens in the show and vice versa <laughs> <laughs> so other than they're like biographies and the framework there's nothing in common between yeah. the two. And the second thing I would say is as a straight adaptation of the book, I think it's pretty bad because, and this might be where some of the negativity comes from in the reviews and some of the audience reaction, you know, maybe people who've read the book because it's probably not a great adaptation of the book Uh, and the things, and I would recommend you read the book, by the way, I think the things you like in the show which is like mm-hmm. this kind of these people uh, dealing with these um with their own internal demons is the entirety yes. of the book basically mm-hmm. uh you know it's very interior almost all of it is happening inside people's minds including like yao mm-hmm. masha like you know we don't have this kind of like what is masha up to there's no mystery we're mm-hmm. in her head so we know mm-hmm. that she's legit sincere about what she's trying to do but she's also a control freak and anyway so my point is all the things i think you like in the show you probably like even more in the book uh so i would recommend that you uh give it a shot at some point in the okay future. But Good it's you know. um, but it, it, I did read one, probably the most generous explanation for this show, <laughs> as it is, was that David E. Kelly was mixing the, the original novel and an Agatha Christie novel together. Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. And I'm
0: like, that is probably the most generous read <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> of, of what we're getting here. Mm. So. so yeah, so then we get to the scene where Zoe, uh, you know, she wakes up, she sees her brother, her brother, like kind of confronts her. Why do you keep saying we're not, we weren't close? And they were close. And there's that great scene, like you mentioned, she's talking about how she is so lonely and she never knew what it was like to be lonely, right? With a twin right? mm-hmm. it's The whole twin idea. So it's a very good scene, but this is a strange scene too, because this doesn't seem to be just a psychedelic type episode. There seems like she's touching him and stuff like she.
1: Right. She hugs mm-hmm. her.
0: So uh, maybe there's something more going on here. And Masha seems to think there is, and I guess we'll get to that at the end. Yes. That. Oh. And there's one more thing that I have a quick question for you is she, he says to her when she sees him that she is his legacy. Her and, and he kind of leaves it dangling there. So there's something else, another secret that we don't know yet. So what do you think that and is? Do you think he might have a a child
1: maybe? Okay, I say this as an only child. So maybe I don't know. But I think it's a strange thing to refer to a sibling as a legacy, right? I, I
0: agree that I think that is a strange thing. I think that he is saying that almost like as a joke to her. You know what I mean? I don't think he's saying that. I don't think that's like a normal conversation where you say like, "Okay, you know, your siblings are your legacy. (laughs) You're like, maybe maybe your children.
1: And would naturally lead you to believe that, you know, you're like, when you say you're talking about your legacy, you either, I guess, I think you either mean your child or somebody of work.
0: Right. Right.
1: And given that they're just turning 21, I mean, it's, Possible that he has some body of work out there, but it seems unlikely.
0: Yeah, I was thinking the same thing that maybe there's whatever a diary or or something that he's right. created, but but yeah, we after watching east Town* and uh, and *Happy Valley* as well, <laughs> it's like, is there a child out there somewhere? <laughs> it seems to be the the, the theme of uh, all these shows. So then we have another interesting scene. So I guess it's early morning, we have Masha in Yao and Delilah's bedroom. And they are very heavy sleepers because they don't wake up, even though she's like massaging them and touching them. (laughs) And she's like, forgive me, forgive me. I'm, uh, you know, still a work in progress. So she's having her own issues, of course. And of course, we also find out, uh, maybe we'll just talk about it now, even though it comes later in the episode. Something that I suspected, by the way, earlier, so maybe this is to the skill of the way they've revealed this, that I did kind of suspect that there might've been something between her and Delilah. So then it makes you wonder, since there is a, romantic relationship between delilah and her as well like what is the real jealousy that delilah is yeah because like, she yeah mm-hmm. so that that is a uh maybe overcomplicated. and once again not in the book honestly it's maybe just creating more suspects for who this stalker is who i don't even care but but it is yeah
1: there. and I, I feel like i can't remember why but i felt like i concluded at the end of this that it is not delilah um yeah. i agree with you and you know maybe it's my stage of life of middle age and whatever but like I, I I feel like this whole thruple situation is supposed to be more scintillating to me than it is like I really just don't care so I you don't know,
0: but I honestly don't even feel like the show is that invested in either I honestly just feel like I was saying before I think it's just giving us yet another suspect for who could be you know what I mean like is does Yao know about it and is Yao the one who's sending the text messages you know Mm, I, I think suppose. it's it's just more you know like once again just like the Agatha Christie motif of like making everybody a suspect right I think that's I mean I don't think there's exploring this relationship they kind of sprang it on us as a haha <laughs> it looks like not that interesting right so
1: exactly that <laughs> like okay all right then <laughs> you guys are hooking up too it's a secret got it
0: yeah exactly um, then we have uh, Lars wakes up in a very good mood he has a dream that he's giving birth. Uh, and of course the issue he has with his boyfriend is that he does not want to have a child. So does this mean that maybe deep down inside, he does want to have a child. Um, and we also see something interesting there that in the dream, Tony is the one who's helping him child. (laughs) And, uh, and the two interesting points about it. One is that, um, you know, he's giving birth to a boy. So Tony in the book, by the way, he has sons, but in the show, he has only daughters. So does it mean that, uh. He did want a son. And if that's the case, then it's weird that uh, Lars had somehow intuited mm-hmm. that to, to in, integrate it into his dream.
1: It, it is a strange dream. And it's um, I guess it's interesting that they both were so happy about it. Right. About having yeah. this baby and tells you more about maybe what's really going on in not only Lars's self subconscious, but also Tony's. And then, you know, I, I thought Tony's reaction was both interesting and funny to be um you know, very sensitive about the whole thing, like couldn't just blow it off as like a joke, right? Like Like, it clearly hit a nerve.
0: Is that it definitely hit a nerve, but he didn't seem to be like, you know, especially like as as like, you know, a very macho type um, has his, you know, manhood uh, assaulted or something. It didn't seem
1: like a homophobia issue or anything. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, that's pretty much it.
0: And and I think it just seemed like he was just kind of like, oh, come on. And then kind of, but you could tell, like you said, Bobby Cannavale being a good actor uh, that he, uh, you know, is able to, um, convey that there is something there. Right. And then we do find right. out a little bit of it later on when he meets with uh, Francis to talk a little bit yes. about it, that uh, he had missed the birth of his children. Uh, and that maybe that is something that hit a nerve that he was not there. And then of course, like mm-hmm. in his dream, he's there during the birth of a son, which he doesn't actually have. Mm-hmm. So maybe he doesn't want a son or wanted one. And uh, when he was younger, what else do we find out? We find out that that patient, most likely the patient that we saw passed out was Connolly. That's his last name that, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, because they mention it by name when they're talking about who might be texting or sending these texts to Masha to threaten them too. Well,
1: you know, Frances passes out in her oatmeal.
0: <laughs> yes, right. Yeah, that's which right. I that thought was
1: was really funny. Um yeah. Yeah. and but you know, she has that uh, I don't know if you'd call it a dream, but you know, while she's while she's passed out, she has that vision of her uh, ex that scammed her coming to apologize and explain that it was all a giant misunderstanding. Yeah. Uh, that then turns into a critique of her, her work as yeah. you know uh, completely uh, meaningless and you know I kind mean. of just a uh, lowest common denominator market for her work which uh, you can see she um, and it comes out later in her conversation with Tony that this is maybe her biggest fear about what she does for a living is that there really isn't much substance to it.
0: Right. Well, well, there's a couple of things that are interesting there. One is I wrote down in my notes where I found it funny that, you know, she's like, I can't believe they want me to like put in like a murder mystery or or something like, you know, they want me to like, um, uh, you know, speed up the tempo of the book, which made me laugh as I am reading the book, which, you know, is very, (laughs) very slow paced and really just interior Mm -hmm. that I'm like, isn't, (laughs) and I don't know if this is intentional that, but is it David Kelly, is David Kelly critiquing himself for putting in these kind of hackneyed, uh, uh, you know, points into these, into this, his adaptation, or is he being critical of like, basically that he has to add a murder to big little lies or add this stalker plot to this show to get the show made. Right. Like, so Mm -hmm. is he, is he criticizing the audience in a way? Right. So I'm not, I'm not sure, but there's something going on there, but there's also a very interesting critique in the book which is much deeper, which uh, um, I'll, I'll get into when we uh, do that episode in the future. But yeah, Francis is touching on a little bit of it here. And like like you said, that she is uh, probably getting wounded a little bit by, but her mm-hmm. fake love interest in, in the show yes. is basically critiquing her her writing. And yeah, at the, at the beginning, I actually thought that this might not be a fake out. I actually thought this might be legitimate and that this was like Masha potentially uh, messing with her.
1: Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's like
0: the first of a few different um you know, psychedelic uh, type visions that people are having here, like, you know, like hallucinations, right? You have the, uh, Zoe sees her brother. Uh-huh. You see um, uh, Lars has the, the very vivid dream. You see, um, you know, Francis <laughs> falls asleep in her, in her uh, oatmeal and has this vision of, uh, but then following that scene, uh, Tony helps her, you know, clean herself up and everything. And they, like you said, they have a very good scene where, you know, she was really upset about the things that this, you know, imagined person was, criticizing her work for. And uh, I liked um, the whole conversation she has with Tony, where Tony goes better to have, basically better to be a has-been than a never-has-been, right? And I thought that was uh, interesting, right? That kind of, you know, putting it in those terms, right? So it's at least they had their their moment.
1: The comparison she was making is that he was once good at what he did, but she feels like she right. was never really good at what she right. did. Right, right, right. So she doesn't feel she's on the same level as him because she's not giving herself credit for her accomplishments, which I know um, at least uh, Jessica, right, has said that she read her books and right. loved them. I, th- I think it was Jessica. So clearly there is you know, something to what she's doing. She's not giving herself enough credit. Uh, right. But yeah there then that scene takes a darker turn right with Tony
0: he does seem to be suicidal right? you, you would read that the same way right
1: yes I did I did and she seems you know legitimately concerned as a true friend would be
0: then we have the reveal that Delilah is also in a romantic relationship with Masha and that might be her true root of her jealousy possibly mm. and that Masha says I won't tell uh, Yao about it so he's she's you know basically having a sexual relationship with both of them and, uh, you know, and keeping it to herself. So that's pretty, you know, selfish on her part, but I guess she is a selfish person anyway. So it's not, <laughs> She's not so
1: great. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> then we find a little bit more about Lars backstory that he, um, you know, he feels bad for breaking up his, uh, his family. Oh, and, uh, like you th- I called this out already. I actually thought it was very nice that, you know, when, uh, Lars is talking to, uh, to Zoe, and uh mm-hmm. he basically says to her that you know you shouldn't be going through this on your own and uh and she's like I, i'm not and he like has that little smile that he's like little oh. smile it's very sweet yeah. Which nice. yeah that was nice i mean even though he's still more interior like he doesn't have like any of these like big scenes yet like some of the other characters have had this is a pretty big episode for him right where he kind of zoe basically calls him out as a friend he has this vision that seems to like kind of crack his yes. hard exterior. And then there's that very funny interaction where he's going to walk out to the, um, uh, to the yes. hot springs. And uh, uh, Carmel has, has seen Ben and Jessica having uh, sex there. So they're kind of rekindling their relationship yes. there. And she reacts badly because she still yes. has internal in- internally has this, um, this anger that she can't manage properly. So they run into each other and she's like, you know, I'm not in the mood to talk to you. And he basically starts getting her to open up and they actually have, and she softens immediately. And I like when she goes, your secrets out Lars, right? She says, mm-hmm. you're, you're a good person. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's, that's Lars secret in the end is that he's actually a good person. <laughs> after being a jerk to everybody. He's actually probably not deep down inside a jerk after all. Of course, we, you know, just have mentioned what we saw that we see Ben and Jessica, we find out our mystery. The question we asked that you asked last week about you know, whether she came with the money, (laughs) right? what's their Mm -hmm. background. And it turns Mm -hmm. out, no, they've been together since high school. Right. So he Mm -hmm. like fell in love with her in high school, asked her out. They've been dating for a really long time, but now he doesn't, you know, she's had so much uh, surgery done and uh, that she, like basically he doesn't recognize her anymore, you know, that and that he thinks the money has like ruined their relationship.
1: Yeah. And that's something that you hear about happening to people that come into massive sums of money, right. That they really aren't prepared for the way that it changes their life. And they, on the whole, end up more unhappy than they were before. I, I, that's a real phenomenon, apparently.
0: <laughs> they seem more on the same page once again. To reference the book, they seem more on the same page here than they do in the book. In the book, she seems okay. to have she seems to chafe more. They're like saying, like, oh, things were. They're both kind of saying things were better before the money, right? They and, and anyway, they they uh, and that leads to a romantic moment, which is what Carmel interrupt. Well, she doesn't interrupt because they don't even notice <laughs> that she's there. Because <laughs> speaking of sex scenes, we have a very strange sex scene between Yao and and Delilah where they're doing, I don't know what that, you were saying it was Reiki? Is that what you, you
1: Uh, I mean, it seemed like some kind of weird Reiki sex. I don't know. Like I'm rolling my eyes from here. Um, Listen, I don't think you need to have physical contact to have an orgasm. So like I buy that it can happen. I just don't understand why this needed to be part of the show. You know what? Maybe
0: they're not having, you know, physical sex with each other though, right? So maybe, in other words, maybe they're only having sex with Masha and not having actual (laughs) traditional (laughs) sex with each other at all. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) So then Masha also gets a a text message, right? She gets a text message. Yes. From, um, and
1: I couldn't make out next. what the image was here. I, I even rewound it to try and see, and I still couldn't figure it out.
0: It was a dead animal. I I assumed it was the goat, but now in retrospect, after you were confused by it, I guess the goat would never have looked that way because it was the, you know, it was, you know, a regular goat. And then it was
1: dinner dinner <laughs> exactly <laughs> so it, it wouldn't
0: have like looked like it kind of looks like roadkill in in the picture but anyway it, it, you know long story short is they're threatening that she she'll be killed next <laughs>
1: yes
0: <laughs> that's that's the point
1: in the end someone still wants
0: to kill like, her. someone wants to kill her <laughs> big surprise who doesn't at this point. <laughs> yeah, and I think that gets us pretty close to the end of the episode. There's a couple of interesting things that happen now. One is well, first of all, the one thing I wanted to call out is that Michael Shannon sings twice in the episode, and uh, yes. he can sing a little bit. He actually can sing a little bit. So it's was a little yeah, surprise that he did. Actually... I
1: don't necessarily understand why his pants need to be up so high all the time, but I don't <laughs> mind the singing. <laughs> it's a tradition somehow.
0: I'm not sure why. <laughs> And he sings at the very beginning, because apparently it's the uh, birthday tradition. Tradition. He he sings Mm -hmm. for the for the at one point, the twins. But, you know, for Mm -hmm. just for Zoe now. And uh, he sings some song from Greece. I can't remember which one it is at the beginning of the episode. And then he sings a song that I did not know. I I don't know this song, the one that he sings at the end, but it sounds like kind of more of like an old, almost not a Sinatra song, but, you know, in that tradition of like a true type song. Mm -hmm. And uh, he sings to her. And then, you know, they all celebrate Zoe's birthday. They have a cake and everybody's there and they're celebrating. And Zoe starts talking to her brother, right? Who's uh, Mm -hmm. kind of off screen. She still sees him. Uh, and she's talking to him and Masha sees this and Masha mm-hmm. gets very excited. So that makes me wonder what Masha's deal is here, because Masha is very excited by, you know, seeing Zoe kind of communing with someone who's not there. And I have a feeling I have, I stopped reading the book because I didn't want to inadvertently spoil anything. Although the book is mm-hmm. so completely different, but there is something strange going on with Masha. She keeps having a vision of a little boy who like emerges mm-hmm. from this like from uh, okay. like a lake in her dreams, and uh, so I'm wondering if she is trying to maybe there is some supernatural aspect here where she's trying to commune with with the dead, possibly.
1: Well, but, she says you're the key, right? Yeah, yeah. So like it raises the question for me: like, does every group that she assembles have someone who is the key? Is she right. the key to some bigger ongoing thing that's that's happening that she's been trying to accomplish? Um, right. But yeah. It does seem like there's something bigger going on here with, uh, I don't know, the those who have passed on.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the only thing that's left at this point in the show, right? I mean, honestly, we're at five episodes and we have three more episodes. Next episode is called Motherload, which is coming on tomorrow. So we'll be able to watch it pretty soon mm-hmm. enough. And, uh, but like you said, I think at this point, you know, like not only did we kind of have the reveal that everybody is medicated last uh, episode, now we have kind of everybody kind of coming to terms with their own issues in this episode. So, I mean, the only thing that's kind of left uh, out there is kind of what this bigger conspiracy might be that Masha has. And, you know, based on this and also based on a few clues that I saw in the book, it is possible that there is something that Masha does think she might be able to commune with, uh, mm-hmm. with uh, the dead, possibly. That, I am kind of curious about that because that would take the show in kind of a very different direction than it's been so far.
1: And also at the birthday party, very sweet moment with Tony asking Frances to dance, right? Oh
0: yeah, good point, good point. Yeah, and everybody kind of notices that they're kind of getting close. Yeah, and,
1: yeah. and Laura's asking Carmel to dance too. Oh yeah, which was of also very sweet. yeah, that was nice. Yeah, exactly. really sweet moments.
0: Yeah, so they all seem to be doing well. I'm sure things will get much worse before they get better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do you have a theory on who is stalking Masha?
0: I I have a feeling it's going to be Yao or Delilah. That it's um I mean the other possibility I was thinking that somebody might be there. I once again this is something that I actually over Lars, once again, is still has a way to communicate with the outside world. So he's, uh, you know, he goes out to his. Yeah, hidden how phone. is
1: that? I thought they took away his stuff.
0: <laughs> I guess he had I mean, he's a, a, supposedly he's a investigative journalist. So I'm sure he, you know, like just like a spy would you probably like surrender your phone, but then you always have your backup phone. Backup. So, But it okay. seemed like they, you know, it seemed like they took his phone and then they took his yeah. backup phone because it seemed like they knew. about. it. Yeah, I would have liked
1: one. to throw away line on how that tree, it just keeps on giving. <laughs>
0: It's, yeah, the it's it's given tree, <laughs> uh, and she just has a bunch of phones in there. <laughs> they take one, and just there's another one in there. <laughs> but um, yeah, so he's still leaking information. So I, you know, it's possible that he's in communication with somebody on the outside, maybe about the Connolly case. So maybe it's not invest. You know, maybe he's investigating her for impropriety rather than. But still, that wouldn't explain who. You know, if someone's trying to sue her for her practices. I don't think they would be stalking her because that could be right. you know, lead to criminal charges at the same time. Right. I don't know who else it could possibly be. I don't, th- you know, it's definitely not Tony. It's definitely not Francis. We're too much inside of Francis' head. We would have known by now. It's definitely not the Marconi family. Like I don't know. Speaking of the Marconi family, I did miss one uh, scene, which is
1: oh, the cliff diving.
0: The cliff diving, yeah. So Napoleon gets Heather to to jump, to take a leap, and yes. uh, and she likes it, right? That was uh, and I, my, my main note there is that what a beautiful location that is. Like we you know with that that you know being able to like when they're photographing from under the cliff and you can mm-hmm. see them like jumping off the mm-hmm. top so re- a really really beautiful location wherever that is <laughs> i'd like to go visit i probably won't dive he says this that. Is
1: shot in australia right
0: in australia somewhere in australia,
1: mm-hmm. australia
0: yeah so i don't know do you have any theory what, what's your theory
1: could theoretically be i guess or uh, would be glory i don't know Glory's story i don't know oh, how long yeah. she's been around um kind of unclear to me she's just like lurking in the background in a way yeah. that seems like okay maybe And then of the main guests, there's no reason that it would be Jessica and Ben, but I do feel like they're underdeveloped as far as what we've learned about everybody. So then that makes me think, well, maybe there's something more that they're doing with these two characters if we haven't learned nearly as much about them as we've learned about everyone else.
0: Well, first of all, like Glory is, I think, too much of a background player for just suddenly pop up as a suspect, you know? I mean, not that that's not the case for these Agatha Christie type movies, but it is still seems kind of we'd be pretty weak as a suspect and um uh and then like you know like you said like you know ben and jessica yeah they definitely have more backstory that we don't know about but that would still be like imagine jessica all of a sudden was like you know had been stalking her the whole time that would be kind of like so contrived to be like what <laughs> I, I wouldn't put it past the show <laughs> i'm just hoping they give come up with something a little more satisfying than that but <laughs> So only murders in the building. So the name of the episode is True Crime and it's on FX and the show is on FX on Hulu as is Nine Perfect Strangers. So a few things about this, this show was created by Steve Martin and his writing partner, whose name I forget. Um, He has very few um, credits. But uh, <laughs> I assume he's probably been working with Martin for a very long time. He's just not credited on a lot of these things because he's kind of his, you know, ghost um, you know, partner writer, etc. And uh, created, created the show. I thought this was a lot of fun, and so fun. I had a, a bunch of questions for you, so I had to do my own. Re- I, I just ended up doing my own research. One was that the building. I'm like, which building is this? Have you seen this building before? I have definitely walked past this building before.
1: I am speculating that this is the Dakota on the Upper West Side even though they're calling it the Arconia, which sounds very much like Ansonia, which is where you know a friend of ours lived right. when she first graduated college. Um, and that is the, mo- uh, the movie Single White Female is in the Ansonia, but I think even though the name is similar, I'm pretty sure it's the Dakota. This is actually- Which is where John Money used to live.
0: It's actually the Belle Nord. Do you know the Belle oh,
1: Nord? Well, there you go. <laughs>
0: well, I, because I, And I thought this, I had some of the same speculation you did actually. Um, and uh, but I ended up uh, looking it up because I was just so curious, and I assumed that I was I was basically almost just confirming my own expectations, but I was wrong. <laughs> but uh, it's 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 interesting <laughs> building. I've never been inside those gates, but I think I've seen it's pretty close to the to Central Park actually. And I yeah, know, you I've can see past, that it's
1: very close to the park. Yeah. yeah, and I've
0: walked past that you know the arched uh, gate. Uh, obviously, had no idea that there's that whole garden inside and everything, but.
1: It see, is... I
0: think
1: the Dakota has a similar, yeah. mm-hmm. so you yeah. might've walked
0: back past the Dakota. <laughs> That's, it, it's possible that they could be using different exteriors, interiors. It's absolutely possible. So,
1: That's true yeah. also,
0: yeah. Uh, I was also curious, like when they shot this, because, you know, like it doesn't feel like as COVID affected as some other productions that I've seen recently. And um, they shot from December, 2020, which by the way, is interesting because it's taking place from the first epi- episodes we've seen. We see someone wrapping Christmas presents and then, oh, I take it back. I remember now. She finds a note, and this is much later in the in the show. She finds a note. The person who dies in the show uh, was supposed to meet somebody on January thirty first, and she pulls out her phone and yes. January twenty fourth, yes, yes. which means and that yes, in the next week, right. the very next episode yep, yep, yep. will be yep. that date, right?
1: So it's post Christmas, post Christmas, right? right, right. yeah.
0: Which kind of makes okay. sense too, with the son's uh, irritation with dad, as if he's showing up now, right? Like later mm-hmm. on after Christmas, <laughs> you know. And his son, of course, calls him out is like saying, like you know, you don't even see your grandkids, etc. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, he's hanging out in the city. He's trying to hang on to this thing. Yeah. Anyway, we're jumping way ahead. <laughs> where, we where we are with the whole plot, but so uh, they shot this uh, between December 2020 and April 2021, when COVID was on the. You know, things were better in New York anyway, much better. Mm -hmm. Um, And now they're getting a little bit worse, but I mean, we're still hanging in there, hopefully. And I'm happy that we have, um, uh, you know, these performers, these older performers, Martin Short and Steve Martin, that is, who are not like just, I'm so tired of everybody's just trying to reboot one of their old properties. I'm glad that they're doing something new. And that, that was something I really was happy to see um and uh early but by the way the critical and audience response so far on this show is really really high so i hope that it, it gets um you know continues to uh, pay off because i think it's a, been a lot of fun uh, so far and yeah um,
1: for sure and i say that as someone who i feel like i'm neutral on steve martin mm-hmm. um i know some people really love him i just don't feel one way or the other about him i actively dislike martin short i don't know why but <laughs> i do um, and I have no familiarity with Selena Gomez aside from knowing that she's Justin Bieber's ex girlfriend. <laughs> so I come into it with very little except negative feelings about Martin Short for, for an inexplicable reason. And I still really, really enjoyed this. The opening scene, which is like a flash forward. Yes, yes. Which is um, the alarm is going off, and Steve Martin and Martin Short, even though we just discussed their character names and using the actors' names anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, meet in the hallway and they, you know, clearly have grown very attached to Mabel, find her standing, kneeling over a body with lots of blood. Right. So, Mm -hmm. and she says, this isn't what it looks like.
0: Right. Right. So
1: we have some kind of idea, um, foreshadowing, literal foreshadowing of what's going to happen in the future here.
0: Then we flash back Steve Martin with his internal monologue. He's saying, you know, people don't you know you don't hear about bodies piled up in the backyard in New York cuz nobody has backyards basically and uh we also see that you know we kind of get introduced very officially by the way that you know he's kind of like was a star of some TV show years mm-hmm. ago and uh, that's a very funny interaction he has on the street where like someone goes oh me and my dad used to uh,
1: mm-hmm. uh you know
0: what used to watch your show all the time and now my dad has um oh, boy. has ALS or something
1: <laughs> yes that was rough <laughs>
0: yeah so it's like yeah you know so that just like a reminder of how old <laughs> He is basically yes, and uh, and then we also see Selena Gomez's uh, internal monologue, and she's all uh, you know. Basically, she listens to podcasts, uh, these true crime podcasts, so that she's prepared to murder <laughs> any uh, assault anybody who tries to attack her. Which maybe references back to the flash forward we see, right? Because the very similar type mm, of maybe. You know? uh, and then uh, we also see uh, Martin Short's preposterous, <laughs> as he is a ridiculous character. That he's having this preposterous. Um, You know, like New York, why do I love you so much? It's very overwritten kind of, uh, which is very much in his character to the point where Mm -hmm. he's caught in a reverie, like in the middle of an intersection and almost gets run over. But um, it's just funny to kind of get into these characters and very different uh, internal monologues. The thing that unifies them, and I like the way they do this in the show, by the way, is that they basically are Steve Martin knows who Martin Short is. Uh, Martin Short is like kind of like constantly trying to he's like a, an overeager puppy, which is kind of his persona in general, by the way. He's how like, he wants everybody to like him as a performer, mm-hmm. I think, too, by the way. And maybe that's why he irritates you. Um, and uh, but he's playing into that he's leaning into that uh, persona. And Steve Martin, on the other hand, is someone who like basically is almost an agoraphobic. According to him though, but mm-hmm. we're not 100% sure that we trust everything these people tell us, by the way. But, and which yeah. is part of the mystery, one of the mysteries. Right. Like so, he doesn't like to be around a lot of other people. And so they're very opposite in their personality. He's irritated by him constantly. And they just happen yes. to be in the elevator when Selena Gomez is in there as well. And Steve Martin kind of like has a moment with her just to kind of be like, that guy annoys me (laughs) and because she seems to (laughs) like not want to be there either. But the thing that brings them together, and I think this is the first thing that I like really love that they kind of crystallize in such a simple way is I think this is like kind of like the value of culture in a way. These people who really don't like each other
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) and
0: really have nothing in common with each other. And it turns out they all listen to the same podcast. So now they're all best friends just because of that. And I think that that's so true, right? It's like, is the whole point of the way of us having this exercise here.
1: And it bonds you, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think
0: that's kind of like the value of culture in general, right? It's just like being able to have this bonding experience over something that not even culturally relevant, it still allows you to have an experience with somebody else. And that in and of itself has its value, right? So I thought that was very funny the way they kind of, quickly, very quickly become like best friends, or I guess as best friends as they can be because they all seem to have their own social problems, but they become very friendly very quickly purely because they have this shared interest in this podcast. And of course, they will end up creating or starting uh, podcasts of their own, just like we did.
1: So, just like we did. Parallels to real life. (laughs) You're listening to all is not okay in Oklahoma from Cindy Canning. Funding is provided by our sponsors, the Rand Corporation, the Milton and Miriam Swan foundation for the arts and for dissolving the federal reserve and Trader Joe's with additional support from royal crown cruises the royal crown prince of dubai and listeners like you and now here's Cindy canning with episode six of all is not okay in oklahoma
0: but the on the darker side of that is you know they're definitely trying to be like cereal right it's kind of like what they're pretending like yes. even the coast isn't called sarah canning but it almost sounds like sarah canning right so it's uh, very much like they're kind of playing on cereal But on the the darker side of things, I actually find it very interesting that, you know, as a fan of podcasts, when you look at the charts, so much of what's popular on podcasts are these true crime type podcasts. And Mm -hmm. uh, and like, you know, like I think it's number two or number three most popular podcast in the world is My Favorite Murder, which is these comedians who are talking Mm -hmm. about like murders and stuff. And uh, I really wonder like what the relationship with these women, mostly women who are listening to these podcasts is. And I find it almost like a satire on that. When you see Selena Gomez is like, you know, I like to like lay in bed and like, imagine that someone's murdering me and then that I kill them before they can kill me. And that's how I put myself to sleep. (laughs) And I'm like, I think that is partially the mentality of people who are like,
1: well, and there's like that little introductory part. um, And I'm not sure who the voiceover is, whether it was Selena Gomez or somebody else about You know, somehow we think that by watching these things like Dateline in 2020 and listening to these podcasts, we're going to um, learn how to protect ourselves from ever being in that position.
0: Right. And I think that's the psychology that I actually find interesting is like exactly what you're describing. Is it like prepping yourself for this supposed thing? Is it just to scare yourself? And Like, anyway, I find it very interesting that there is. Well,
1: I would never have met my ex-boyfriend in a parking lot in the middle of the night. So that wouldn't have happened to me, (laughs) you know?
0: Um, exactly. So that, it's all—it's all—I it's, it, guess it's all pre- pre- preparation. Um, what else do we find out here? So they—you know—they become fast friends, bonding over this. And the reason that they all end up realizing that they all listen to the same podcast is because they all get kicked out of the building as a fire alarm. And during this fire alarm is when this supposed murder slash suicide occurs. So when it turns out when they find out who it is that this person was not liked by anyone in the building, from as far as they can <laughs> tell, and uh, they all—it was the guy who had been in the elevator with them Right. All at the so same time. So they're all
1: united by this elevator ride where all four of them met each other. Exactly,
0: and yeah. uh, so now one of them mm-hmm. ends up dead, right? And uh, the question bit is like, why would this person who is about to kill himself be a taking out the trash, which is apparently what he was doing? And B, uh, like be in the middle of this conversation doesn't seem like somebody who's, you know. uh,
1: And right. He's saying he's saying on the phone, um, what do you mean? I can't get it until tomorrow morning. So in his head, he thinks there's going to be a tomorrow morning for him to get this package. Right. Theoretically.
0: Right. So all of this does not make sense for someone to be about to uh, commit suicide. And this gets them on this uh, treasure hunt. Right. Of basically saying. And we start teasing it even this early on that they're going to make a podcast. They're going to investigate this. They haven't named the podcast yet though. And when they do name it, I think that's in the next episode that is very entertaining as well. And uh, so we got three episodes in one shot, very entertaining, by the way, all relatively short about 30 minutes each minus the uh, you know credits and before and after um, uh, bumpers. It's probably around 30 minutes, maybe even a little less. So a quick watch, very light, a lot of fun. They introduce these characters very well and they all have a, uh, Secrets that they're trying to hide, uh, by the way, one very funny thing about Martin Short, I love that you see all have his posters in his uh, mm-hmm. office of all these shows. Mm-hmm. And one of them is called Newark, Newark, which I thought was very, yes, very funny. I saw
1: that as well.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I grew up in Newark, which is a city right across the street from New York, right across the river from New York. And the not as glamorous as New, New New York. So it's just very funny to see New, Newark, Newark as a musical. <laughs> yes. be very, very funny. So I laughed at that. Um, and that was very entertaining. But then we wrap up the episode and we realize that we are not hearing everything that we know. Throughout the course of the episode, we see Steve Martin making an omelet and throwing it away over and over and over again. And we mm-hmm. don't understand why he's doing this. Although he does make himself a sunny side up egg at the end, which means that he has maybe moved on beyond his omelet fixation. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the the button at the end of episode one, before we transition to episode two, is that we see Selena Gomez in her apartment, very strange apartment she has, it's basically gutted, and uh, she's in it's the show.
1: massive. I and mean, massive. you know, I always yeah. am looking at the New York City real estate in these shows and oh my gosh, it's massive. Right. Yeah.
0: And even they who live in the building are like shocked at the size of yes. the building when they eventually <laughs> get inside the apartment. But we see her showering in this gutted apartment and we're like, what is she doing there? Does she actually live there? What's her mystery? And she has a lot of mysteries. But one of them that we find out very here at the end is that the camera pans over and we see that she has her screensaver is basically a group of four people, including Tom Kono. Tom Kono, right?
1: Tom Tom Kono?
0: (laughs) I think it's Tom Kono. So basically the uh, murdered uh, or potentially murdered, suicide, whatever, the the dead person uh, who she supposedly has not showed any indication of knowing anything about is not only on her screensaver. It's not a random photo, by the way. She calls it it's a, a screen, it's a photograph that says the Hardy Boys, which means mm-hmm. that the Hardy Boys was this group of friends that she had as children who solved crimes. So these are, this would have been an intimate friend of hers at, for a very long time, and yet she is saying nothing about knowing them. So dun-dun-dun, what secrets <laughs> dun, is dun. she having, right? Tim Kono. Tim Kono. Tim <laughs> I knew there was a T name in there. Tim Kono.
1: I'm about to
0: pass out. Oh, how did you get here? It was open. I don't lock my door. Never have.
1: That's insane. It's neighborly. I mean, a murderer probably lives in the building, but I guess old white guys are only afraid of colon cancer and societal change. Sad.
0: So a couple of things from episode two that I'm curious about. One is what is up with all of the stolen jewelry, which is definitely gonna be yes, something more relevant in the upcoming episodes. But we find out that what's the name? Tim Kono, right? So the, the, re- uh-huh. the reveal at the end of episode one is that Selena Gomez is Mabel character, uh, that not only did she know Tim Kono, not like barely knew him, he was one of the Hardy Boys, which was this group That's of four right. who used to like solve mysteries around the building or pretend to solve mysteries. And yes. his apartment is full of these uh, books, the Hardy Boy mysteries, basically all of them that they've collected. Yes, one- seems
1: like a complete set. Pretty
0: much. I mean, there's so many of them, right? And then when she opens them up, they're actually full of jewelry. So whoever, if indeed someone murdered him, which I assume is the case, whoever murdered him left all that jewelry there. So that's very interesting.
1: And why was Tim Kono under financial stress when he clearly had all this jewelry that he could sell at any time?
0: Well, yeah, as you could point. Yes, I mean you have to point it, and you could get caught pointing it. But yeah, still, it's like it, it, like you said, what is going on with all that jewelry? There's so many questions that, that are unanswered there. Oh, and the one thing we discover also is that Tim Kono probably did not kill himself, considering that he was waiting for a package, and we find out what was in the package, which was a ring,
1: mm, an engagement ring. It, looks it like.
0: seems like an engagement ring, which yep. does not fit Selena Gomez. It slips right off of her finger. So, like any <laughs> possible, I mean, very intentionally, I think they're they're uh, making that point. Uh, And I don't remember if it's in this episode or in the third episode, but we also see a flashback where he basically has seen Mabel. He knows that she's back in the building. And she says he's basically saying, like, I haven't seen you in 10 years. Leave me alone. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Uh, So we do know that they have had interactions previously.
1: Right. And she's telling him, you know, Oscar is about to get out and he'll be back. And don't you think this is a good time Mm -hmm. to tell everybody the truth about what you know and about what really happened?
0: Yeah. So it turns out in their past that one of their friends, another one of the, the Hardy boys uh, in this, um, who aren't old boys, by the way, that one of the girlfriends, whose name I don't know, unfortunately, the blonde girl died on New Year's Eve some years back, I guess 10 years back. If they haven't seen each other in 10 years, that's probably when it was.
1: Yeah. I think it's around 10 years. Yeah.
0: And that she had fallen from the building or was pushed from the building. Something happened. And I guess they assumed she was pushed from the building considering that Oscar um, who's not in um, the show yet, I don't think we've seen Oscar yet, is coming out of jail. And I think he took the blame for the crime, but Tim Kono knew something.
1: Right. And it seems like Oscar was the boyfriend or, you know, at least it had some sort of romantic relationship right. of uh, the girl who ended up uh, getting pushed off the top of the building, right?
0: I believe so. And then uh, these all kind of blurred together, to be honest with you.
1: Yes, Uh, I agree, because they're short, they're quick, they're fun, yeah.
0: yeah. I'm sorry, things have gotten a bit away from me.
1: No, it's okay. Um, Do you have another cat, Mr. Morris? No. This is all
0: Evelyn's. If I don't touch anything, food, water, toys, I can pretend she's still here. You know, I heard this once, and maybe you can appreciate it. A cat never really leaves you
1: because they transmit parasites. I'm sure Evelyn was very clean. She was. Thank you.
0: I had way more notes on episode three because a lot of things happened there that not only is Selena Gomez lying about her backstory, but we also find out that Steve Martin is lying about his backstory too, right? Because he's been saying that he lived alone for 28 years and his dad was abusive, so he always thought he'd be abusive. But it turns out that's not true because the next door neighbor says, oh, when I smell those omelets, it makes me think about Lucy, right? And I miss Mm -hmm. Lucy, right? So he Mm -hmm. wasn't living alone for 28 years. That's turns out to be so
1: there is a question about whether the rest of the the story is true or not about the dad, right?
0: Right. Well, he uh, he, eventually he she's confronted because she sees that that's like a speech that he gives in one of the reruns of his shows. And uh, she confronts him about it. And he basically says, well, it's all true, which once again, we're still not certain about. But obviously, the fact that he is only, uh, you know, lived alone for 28 years was not true. Uh, He also, we find out that he gets a nosebleed when he is nervous, right? And uh, the thing that triggers his nosebleed, by the way, is um, Amy Ryan, right? Amy Ryan comes into the elevator and they have a little uh, flirtation, actually. She Mm -hmm. plays the bassoon. Mm-hmm. and apparently he can hear her playing the bassoon in the, in the, in the courtyard, I should say. So he's, he's aware of her, and uh, they have a little flirtation, and she will be back. You'll see her in this most recent episode. Um, and of course, she's going to be back because you don't hire Amy Ryan to do one, scene. <laughs> <laughs> one scene of a show. So... I, one thing I do enjoy here, by the way, because I am not a musical theater person at all. Uh, I've only seen. Me him. either. But I do enjoy when, because I find it kind of ridiculous. I do find like jokes about musical theater very funny because it all seems so preposterous to me. So that's why I like when you see Martin Short, uh, you know, like you see his apartment decorated with some of his failed plays mm-hmm. and he has Splash, <laughs> Splash the Musical, which apparently was a mm-hmm. big disaster, which reminds me of the Spider Man musical that came on a few years ago. Uh, and, you know, uh, people kept getting injured. In yes, it reminded
1: me of that as well. I think it's supposed to, uh, yeah. for those of us that are familiar with it anyway. And I will say I was one of the unlucky ones that actually did see that one. So <laughs> it, was, it was very bad.
0: <laughs> I was working in Las Vegas years ago when I first started dating Kim and we went to that Cirque du Soleil, the uh, water one, which I can't
1: remember. Uh-huh, uh-huh.
0: And there is a stunt in there where, I don't know if you've ever seen that show, but it's pretty amazing what they do from a stage production standpoint. They uh, have a floor that basically is the bottom of the pool.
1: So mm-hmm. as
0: people are like ascending to the top of uh, you know, these ladders or whatever to dive into the pool, the floor will like kind of recede into the mm-hmm. pool. The pool. And then, uh, so then all of a sudden, they'll dive onto the stage and, you know, there will be water there for them to dive into. And, um, and then when the dancers come back out, they will, the, the, the floor at the bottom of the pool will kind of rise up to the surface of the water. Mm-hmm. And then you could see the water getting sucked into these like little openings in the floor, like sucking the water back in and the floor is completely dry, like instantly. So from a stage craft standpoint, I was very impressed with it just, uh, technically. But anyway, my point, the reason I bring this up is as I was watching these, the floor turn into a pool, like almost almost instantaneously. And all these uh, men climbing, these like mermen type people climbing these very tall ladders and diving into this pool. Like I, in my mind envisioned, could you imagine the floor failed? (laughs) And basically I envisioned exactly what Martin Short describes (laughs) <laughs> in the uh, in, his, in the failed uh, previews for the Splash musical where people were just like one after the other after the other hitting the floor and just thudding and splashing <laughs> like a fish, just like hitting, hitting the street. So we see Nathan Lane, another big celebrity here. And we actually see Nathan Lane and Sting, right? Two big cameos. In this yes,
1: film. I'm a big fan of Sting. So that was entertaining for me.
0: But I think he'll definitely be back a few more times. But- yeah, and
1: I like this too, because I think um, Sting... Is a person that people, at least in my experience, have accused of taking himself too seriously. Perhaps yeah. so. Mm-hmm. I like seeing yeah. him in this role here.
0: So yeah. So Sting is here as a suspect. He doesn't like dogs, and uh, and of course that pays off as a potentially making him a suspect because uh, Oliver's dog gets poisoned, right, in this episode.
1: Yes. Sorry, I got confused with the cat for a second. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> they get they
0: poisoned, which of course does tie it back to the cat, right? Because the cat was yes. also poisoned, right? So it's possible that the same person who poisoned the cat may have also attempted to. Uh, poison Oliver's dog. I will, you know, minor spoiler here. He, the dog does not die. Just so you know, <laughs> just so if anybody right. was concerned, the dog does not die. And then again, you right. never kill the dog, right? You never. That's the that's the rule. You never kill the dog in the show. So they do not. Kill the dog. <laughs> The bigger cameo that we see here is Nathan Lane, who basically was the person who funded the failed Splash musical. Very funny, this whole idea that you would make Splash the movie into a musical. But of course, dumber things have been done on on Broadway. So once again, I don't understand how those shows stay on the how they succeed. Because in my mind, when I heard like, oh, that Broadway show, which they spent $50 million on, like Spider-Man is just the most egregious example of it is a complete another failure and they lost tens of millions of dollars and i always think of course it did. like what who thought that was a good idea but yeah somehow these things keep getting made and i guess people like nathan lane keep funding them so
1: and we meet his um yeah. we meet his ex-wife there too right yeah so we see her momentarily. that's interesting as well and, and the story in of how they met and yep. his persistence with her
0: and if also we and i guess i forgot to call this out in episode two but we also met uh oliver's son as well right so we meet who lives in new jersey in the suburbs yes And he Mm -hmm. actually, we find that this is actually a big thing. I guess I didn't take a note of this in episode two because it's actually a very big thing that happens. And it's that, you know, Steve Martin basically has his money. And I guess we understand now why everybody lives in the building is something that kind of comes out in episode two. Steve Martin uh, has the residuals from this nine years that he was on this uh, police procedural. So I guess, you know, he's getting residuals for the rest of his life. So he's probably, he's a has-been, but probably very well paid, right? Uh, Meanwhile, you have... um, uh, Mabel, Selena Gomez's character, who is supposedly, and we don't know if this is true yet either, um, remodeling her aunt's apartment, and which she has yeah. so far gutted, but it's not done anything beyond that. But once again, I'm not sure if I believe that, and I'm not sure if she's just squatting, it's possible, and she's using the I'm remodeling this place as an excuse. Mm-hmm. Um, And then, of course, we find out that Oliver—you know—his backstory is that he was a director on Broadway, and as is probably often the case for certain people like that, he probably was very well paid at one point, but probably, you know, lived a lavish lifestyle, and of course, doesn't have anything to show for it now. And Nathan Lane, who was basically his producer, still lives in the same building, and he once again goes and asks him for money to produce the the podcast, right? So that's kind of what. Um, we find out he does get it's funny, he gets 30 something thousand dollars to produce his podcast. Which, hey, everybody out there doesn't cost thirty thousand dollars to make a podcast. <laughs> Tr- <laughs> Trust me, I know <laughs> maybe thirty dollars, not thirty thousand. But, <laughs> but of course, he needs the money to you know pay his his building fees because you know they're basically about to, to kick him out. There's also a running gag here, by the way, which begins here that and it continues in the most recent episode that for some reason, Oliver does not eat any solid foods. He only eats dips. So he likes, he likes (laughs) hummus. Yeah. So that whole joke, the whole joke that he, in the the second episode, when they go to Tim Kono's awake and he takes Mm -hmm. all the dips, I thought he was just making that up. Like it was just an excuse for him to like raid, but it's like, no, it's all he eats. He gets into his whole philosophy of it in the most recent episode. (laughs) So he likes only dips. It's very easy to clean up.
1: I mean, I love dip, so I get it, but um, it does seem like, a, practically speaking, very hard to implement that type of diet. But
0: Not yeah. exclusively, right? Yeah, it's a little, it's a little yeah. extreme, it's a bit of an extreme diet for him. We see that uh, Steve Martin gets to play a concertina. He's trying to score the podcast yes. himself, right? And he actually does play a concertina pretty well, actually. And uh, yeah, and then you mentioned already Oscar is getting out, so that is uh, yep. something to look forward to in, in the upcoming episodes. And we kind of find out what did Tim Kono know, and um, what does why did Oscar take the fall? Mm-hmm. The only thing I want to add here is that I am calling it early, just like I was wrong with East Town, That as soon as I saw Guy Pierce, I was like Guy Pierce is the murderer, and I was completely uh-huh, wrong on that. Uh-huh. I did figure out the murder eventually, but that was wrong. Yes, he did. In this regard, as soon as I saw Amy Ryan, I'm like Amy Ryan is the killer. <laughs> so that's my my early 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 uh, theory
1: i mean it's not a bad one because it's unlikely it's sting, right so <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, it's so hard for me because i watch them all in one sitting and i just yeah. don't know where one episode begins and the other ends but one thing i thought was super charming was when steve martin is uh wants to text mabel to meet up and he can't figure out oh my
0: god that was great use. yes the texting etiquette was hilarious i love that yeah
1: <laughs> yeah, I thought that was just so sweet. And so, um, it, so typical of like the generational divide, you know, of how formal to be how casual to be. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I enjoyed that moment a lot. Um, one little, I uh, I think this show is doing a really good job at getting the details of New York City living right. And Mm
0: -hmm.
1: one thing that I really thought was super cute is that when Mabel is, I think, flashing back to her time with the Hardy Boys and how they used to investigate crimes, they're in an apartment and they open a drawer full of boys' t-shirts. And right on top is this t-shirt that says Super Soccer Stars, which is like a very New York City kid thing to be part of Super Soccer Stars. My four-year-old has already done like two super soccer stars classes so and we have got the t-shirts to show for it so um so i thought that was like a very cute on point detail of new york city life um and what else did i want to say oh you know what i really couldn't stand though on the musical theater front is that uh, kind of chorus line kind oh, of device yeah. that they're using yeah i yes. can't stand that
0: which I think was just at that episode. I, you know, I mean, I based, hope so. based on the most recent episode, it doesn't seem to be like a motif they're going to keep coming back to. I was actually thinking about this while I was watching it, that certain things just permeate the culture that as soon as I saw what he was doing, I'm like, oh yeah, that's like a chorus line, even though I've never seen a chorus line. I somehow also you have just not know. Seen a
1: chorus line. <laughs> somehow somehow
0: you just know that, that well. that's what the chorus line was like. <laughs> I yes, <don't>
1: <laughs> I didn't care for that. Um, but I did love, love, love the scene with the dead cat in the in the freezer.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, so he has a leg in his pocket. He doesn't know what to do with it. So he just brings it with yes, him. Yes, I thought the whole
1: thing was so well done. Very funny, very clever. Um, I do want to mention that New York is a one-party recording state. You do not have to inform anyone that you are recording them. So
0: That's actually a very so, good. That's an interesting because that is a gag that keeps coming up. So that is a, but I guess- Yeah, I
1: don't you don't. You As long as you know you're being recorded, uh, the other party does not have to know.
0: But so, I think here, here's maybe the gotcha there is, could you use it in a podcast, though, without permission? Like, as a like, could you broadcast okay, it without permission? Good point. You know, you know, that's what yeah, I think might Yeah, you could be definitely this.
1: use it as evidence. I don't yeah. know if you could use it in a podcast.
0: Yeah, so. I, think that, I think that's the, the gotcha, is that if they wanted to use it in their podcast. Uh, speaking of that actor, the one who, who owns the the cat... Uh, I guess we should go into that in a little more detail too, that we also find out that I guess a lot of people in the building did not like Tim Kono at all. (laughs) They all started bashing him. (laughs) nobody liked
1: Tim Kono is what I'm getting. I don't think we've met a single person that did.
0: Yeah, they all, and and I guess actually we find out a little bit when we see that flashback, another thing that I forgot to mention, that we do see Mabel playing with him when he was young. And apparently she says she always liked him because he was always like abrasive. He was always telling people exactly what he thought. Mm -hmm. And then uh, that's what made her like him. But everybody kind of disliked him, I guess, because of the same reason, right? That he was kind of always telling everybody exactly his opinion of everything, and uh, including the fact that he, like, you know, he didn't like people's pets, and he didn't like, you know, a lot of different.
1: Right. People. It's fine to be that way, but it depends what your opinions are, right? <laughs> so. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So that was interesting to kind of see a little bit of backstory. But uh, that actor, uh, who's very funny, uh, who owns the cat. Has been a guest star multiple times in a show called High Maintenance. Also in New York, have you ever seen High Maintenance? I
1: love High Maintenance. I didn't recognize him from it, but I haven't watched it in quite a while.
0: He's like the agoraphob- agoraphobic guy. He's been there. Yes, from the very beginning. with the um,
1: cans. Was there a thing with a display of cans?
0: I think it's something with a display of cans. At one point, he lived with his mother at the very beginning of the show. His mother passes away at some point. For anybody who hasn't watched High Maintenance, it's basically. Uh, a guy who delivers marijuana around New York city on a bicycle. He's like a bicycle messenger, but he has a network of folks who continuously um, text them and ask for uh, Amy Ryan's been a, a guest star on that show as well, by the way. Um, uh, so it's, she's got his, and, and so we kind of check in with these people over and over again. And I love this show also, by the way, uh, Sona, I wish there were more shows like this. I love the humanity of that show. Even when I don't, yeah. even when I don't like a specific episode, I love watching this show because there's just so few things out there that kind of just kind of <laughs> give everybody a base level of like human dignity. So like even the weirdest oddball in the world has their own internal life going on, right? And this is yes. basically a show that just explores that. And I love it, I think it's great. But uh, anyway, that's a really good show too, as a recommendation. Definitely track that down, it's on HBO if anybody hasn't seen it. That's my digression on high maintenance, but I was just calling out that that's the same guy and I, I always find them very funny whenever he's- a-
1: Yeah, they all did a great job. I thought that was a really comical scene um, and all three of them I thought were very funny. And I will say though, Selena Gomez, you know, not having really watched her in anything previously, I'm not sure if that's her normal manner of speaking or it's particular to the character, but it's like very strange to me, her manner. Have you noticed that?
0: The only other thing I've seen her in uh, beyond this is I saw her in Spring Breakers which is actually Mm -hmm. also very good, which I liked. But I do think that that is, maybe she's leaning into it a little more, but I do Mm. think that that's in general her. uh, Yeah,
1: like super deadpan, like very, um, yeah, which I'm not sure is my favorite thing, but it's okay. I still like her here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, uh, but I'm still really enjoying this, by the way. It's anybody out there who's hesitant to watch this, you will binge this show in no time at all. It flies like,
1: by. They fly yep. by.
0: They are very entertaining. The comedy is not over the top. Some of it is slapstick for sure. Like the cat sequence was very funny. So there's definitely slapstick here. Steve Martin can, you know, obviously do slapstick, Askin Martin Short. But most of the comedy is just kind of very, just witty little snippets of uh, dialogue that, that are very clever. And uh, the mystery is interesting, and I think it's well written in the fact that, you know, these people are revealing their own internal mysteries as they're trying to solve this bigger mystery. The the mystery is not, you know, the stakes aren't so high where you're going to have nightmares (laughs) watching this show. This is is just, you know, it's a real breezy, almost like a Murder, She Wrote type thing, right, where you're watching it just for entertainment value, like watching someone get killed for entertainment value, but that's actually a genre of TV, and that's kind of what this is but I think with more wit and more style than, than something like
1: Very that. witty, yeah, for sure. All right.
0: I think okay.
1: I'll
0: talk to you soon.
1: <laughs> okay, talk to you later. Okay, bye. Bye.